welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine, and it is so good to have you guys with us here today. Today we're wrapping up this series, Switchbacks, and next week we're going to start a brand new series that I'm, I'd love to invite you to. I think you're going to love it. It's a two-part series called How to Get Rich. And we're, to, we're going there. We're going to talk about it. We want to help you. We know you're thinking about it. We, we would love to invite you into this to, to start your own business with. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but we, we would love for you to come for that. And I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks. And so that is next week right here. Uh, today we're wrapping up switchbacks. And really the idea with this series has been to show some people from the Bible in a light that we might not always think about. You know, I think it's easy to read the Bible and see the lives that these people live and the things that God does in them and through them and think, that's just not me, that's not like me, I don't know if I relate to that. And It's hard to, to see that these were regular people and that oftentimes their lives felt like they were this up hill struggle, like there was challenge after challenge, issue after issue that they had to deal with. And, and so our goal really in this series has just been to break some chains, that you would be able to hear these stories of what God has done in the past, and it would give you some hope for what he wants to do in your future, that you would be able to reset some mindsets and, and some ways of thinking that you would understand that just because it feels like you're always moving on hill does not, uphill does not mean that it is setbacks. Oftentimes what feels like setbacks are just switchbacks, moving us closer to where we were meant to be. Today, as we wrap up, I'm going to talk about my favorite disciple. Does everybody have a favorite disciple or is that like a lame pastor thing? It probably, that's probably just me, but I definitely have a clear favorite and, and uh, he's far above the rest and that is Peter. We're going to talk about Peter today, but before we do, um, before we really get into it, I would ask you a question, and it's a rhetorical question. Have you ever felt like, no matter how hard you try, you just mess things up? Like you just screw it up no matter, no matter what, you're always going to find a way to make a mistake. Do you have a supernatural ability to make a mess of things? Your best intentions often bring the worst results. If I was going to write a book about my life, the title would be, Oops. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. I goof things up all the time. All the time. Best intentions, worst results. I do this at work. I was in the Coast Guard for a number of years, and my job in the Coast Guard was, uh, was I was a gunner's mate, which means I was over uh, safety, security, and training over the weapons at our unit. And so safety was like the biggest thing. It was all, all we learned a lot about safety in school. And that was kind of you get in the most trouble for safety issues. And safety's a big deal when you're dealing with weapons. And so it was my third day on the job. And uh, I had to take the uh, large uh, point detonating explosive rounds from the armory up to a box next to the big gun that shot them. And so we had this ammo elevator inside the ship, and there was really only one rule when using the ammo elevator, and that was always close the door. And so anyways, uh, here I am, I'm at the top of the ship, and I'm hitting the button to bring up the elevator full of just point-detonating explosive rounds. Now these are also armor-piercing. This round was designed to be able to punch through the side of a ship, and then it gets inside, and it blows up, and then it shoots this chemical everywhere that sets everything on fire. Isn't the U.S. military just a creative people. And so, um, and so anyways, it's in the, and then, so the elevator's coming up and I, all of a sudden I hear, like that. I'm like, huh. 
that's not the sound it normally makes. So I open the door and I look down in there. And what has happened is I have forgotten to shut that ammo elevator door. And one of those rounds, which should have been in a can, but I just kind of put them in there, it had fallen out and got wedged in the track, point detonating first. And so for a solid five minutes, I thought, is there a way for me to fix this without telling anybody? <laughs> Once I determined the clear answer was no, we shut down the whole ship. We evacuated everyone. We brought in a bomb team, the Navy bomb squad, and it took 10 guys four hours to get them out of there. I messed it up. I messed it up pretty good. <laughs> I do this in my relationship. I'm, uh, Rail and I, we're very different when it comes to gifts. I don't know if you're like this with your spouse, but see, um, the way that I buy gifts is I want you to tell me what you want, and I'm going to buy it for you. And I will show you how much I love you by buying you exactly what you asked me for. In fact, it would be great if you could just send me the Amazon link, and I'll hit buy it now, no questions asked. But Rael, she likes for me to be thoughtful. <laughs> and like... She wants a gift where I've kind of watched her and thought about what she likes and paid attention. She wants me to pay attention all the time, listen when she says she likes things, and, and pick something based off of the way I love her. And so our, about our third year of marriage, I decided I was going to do this for her, and I was really excited about it. I started planning months ahead. I started paying attention, you know, just really watching her all the time. She'd be like, why are you staring at me like that? I'm like, nothing. And <laughs> And so I'm watching her, trying to decide what I'm going to get her for Christmas, and finally it, it hits me. I've, just, I've seen a clear pattern. I know what she needs. Because like every night, she would ask me to rub her neck for her, and it was, it was really, she just wanted me to rub her neck. You know, if you're thinking, oh, I didn't know it wasn't that. She wanted me to rub her neck. And she wanted me to rub her neck for 45 minutes or so. And the problem was, my hand got a cramp after like 45 seconds. And I was like, Can I be, I'm sorry. But I'm, so I had to lay down over there. And so... I'm paying attention. I'm seeing this problem and, and I, how much like, she values that neck rub. And so I thought, I know she would like bless her. I'm going to get her one of those handheld, like do-it-yourself neck massagers <laughs> so that she can massage her own neck. And I thought, this is so thoughtful. Like she's going to open this gift and tears of joy are going to come. She's going to be like, John Mark, you get me. And so it's Christmas morning. I'm so excited. You know, I'm watching her. I'm like, oh, girl, you're going to love it. And she like, gets that, that box and starts opening it up. And she opens up that box, and she stares at it for a minute. And then the tears started coming. They were not tears of joy. They were tears of sadness and disappointment. And, and then the anger came after that. You know, I just, I just really messed it up. I really messed it up. I do this as a parent. And I do it all the time, but what, just recently, Ray, uh, Eleanor had gotten um, some light-up shoes, light-up sneakers, and we were getting back from dinner. It was dark outside, and Eleanor wanted to, she said, Dad, I want to see how these light up in the dark. And I said, that's awesome. You should run down the driveway as fast as you can see how bright they get. <laughs> so she did that, and while she was running downhill and staring at her feet in the pitch dark with lights in her face, she tripped, and she slid across the driveway on her face for a little while. A lot of blood. Or there was the time Dagny was just two days home from the hospital after receiving a diabetes diagnosis. Very serious time in our family's life. And Dagny was sitting at the bottom of the stairs, and I just wanted to, you know, I'm just a dad. You know, I just wanted to make her laugh. Like, I just wanted to make her day, bring her some joy. So I thought, you know what to make her laugh? If I jump over her and land on the other side, she will love that. And so I get like two steps down, and I jump 
to like land on the other side and go, ah, like that. And I'm, as I'm in the air, I remember about the door frame. And my head hit the door frame directly head on. I got a major concussion, and then my body flipped up, and I fell and like did a body slam, Goldberg style, onto Dagny on top of her. <laughs> and now Rael had two patients to take care of. Is that what you want? I just messed it up. I just messed things up. I do it all the time. Without try, I try so hard not to goof things up, and I always manage to do it. I goof things up. Now, maybe you, you, you can relate. Maybe you don't have a long list of funny stories of the ways that you've goofed up in that way, but maybe you can relate on a deeper level. So maybe you know what it's like to go to work and just feel like you're walking on thin ice. Like just one, one more mistake, one, one, more, one more error, and you're done. Like it's, all, it's already, it already feels like, like you're, you're halfway out the door. Maybe you know what this feels like in your marriage. Like every morning when you wake up, you're just on eggshells. You're trying so hard to say the right thing, but you're just worried you're going to mess it up again. You're going to do that thing again. You're going you're to make that mistake again. And no matter how hard you try, you just keep falling in the same pattern over and over again. And you're worried it's all going to break. Maybe you do this as a parent. You can just already see, you're just worried you're already saving for therapy. You're like, what, what am I doing to these kids? What's, what am I doing to them? Maybe you know what it feels like to just feel mistakes and, and all the problems of your past feel like they're just going to happen over and over again throughout the whole course of your future. I can relate to that. And I think Peter could too. See, Peter's life as it's displayed in the Gospels, it takes, this, it takes on this, this kind of persona that's very different when we get to the book of Acts. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is who Peter was when he followed Jesus and who he became. Because I think many of us can relate to that. And so let me show you just through this scripture, through the Gospels, just a, a few of the things that Peter really kind of messed up on as a follower of Jesus. The first thing that, that I think is interesting is that, is that Peter sank. And Peter sank. So there's, there's this crazy story in the Bible where Jesus walks on water. Many of us know it. It's kind of in our popular culture now. And what happens is Jesus has this really hard day. He, he, in the morning, he finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, who baptized him, has, has been executed. And he's sad, and he wants to spend some time alone. So he goes to an area where he thinks he'll be alone, and then people find out that he's there, and this is towards the end of his ministry, so there's been a lot of healing, and everybody just wants to be around Jesus, and so they all show up. And Jesus just does ministry and shows compassion all day long. And then that evening, he tells the disciples he's going to take a little bit of alone time, so he wants them to go ahead and cross the sea by boat, and he'll meet them on the other side. And so they get out there, and they're like halfway across, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. They, they thought he was going like to get a different boat or, or find a, a camel train around to the other side or something. But instead, here comes Jesus walking on the water towards them. Everybody freaks out. They think it's a ghost. What would you do? If you see somebody, you're just out in the middle of the water. Somebody's walking out towards you. Everybody is scared. It's a ghost. What is that? And Jesus is like, no, it's fine. It's me. It's Jesus. And Peter, in this moment, becomes Forrest Gump in the part where Forrest Gump sees Lieutenant Dan standing there. He sees Lieutenant Dan on the pier. He's like, Lieutenant Dan! He just jumps out of the boat. The boat just keeps on going. This is that moment for Peter. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, all right, well, come. Come on, let's do this. So Peter gets up out of the boat and starts walking towards Jesus. But he's walking towards him, and he just, all of a sudden, it's just the waves are so big, and and, and the seas are so scary, and, and 
He's like realizing as he goes, I'm standing, this is water. People don't walk on this. And it says he came out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Peter had the right intentions. He was going to make this big step of faith, but he messed it up. Started sinking, got scared. Started sinking and, and he got called out for it. Maybe that's a fear that you have. Maybe you've recently made a big decision to take a step of faith. But then you kind of got that first step under your belt, and you got scared when you started to realize all that this meant, all the world around you. Maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus, and you, you made that decision on a Sunday, but Monday rolled around, and then you, you started to survey all of your life and what it would mean to follow Jesus, and you got scared. I don't know if I can keep taking any more steps. I don't know if I can go any further. I don't, I don't know about all this. Maybe you went to life group and, and you, you know you need community and you know you want to find freedom. And so you did it. You signed up for life group and you went on that first week and there were all these people looking at you and they wanted to talk to you. And you're like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. That's how, I, that's, how my, that's my natural reaction when people want to talk to me. I'm like, oh no. And maybe, maybe that was you and, and you walked in there on that first night and you were just, you were just, you were just like, I don't know about this. I don't know if I'm ready to share my life with these people. The, the things that I got going on with them, I don't know if I can do that. You took a, a step of faith, but you were overwhelmed by the fear when you looked around and saw what it meant. Maybe you can relate to messing up like that. Maybe this one, Peter acted impulsively. And there's a lot of examples of this one. Peter was kind of an impulsive guy. But one that uh, comes to mind is in all four Gospels, actually, a story that takes place over and over again. It's the night that Jesus is arrested. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with his followers. And Jesus went there with all of the disciples, but he, the first kind of group of disciples, they fall asleep right away. And Jesus brings Peter and Andrew and John closer to him. These were his closest people. And he says, will you please just stay awake with me? I'm scared. And I want to pray, and I, and I want you with me. And, and they fell asleep, and they're sleeping. And this is, this is a quiet garden. It's the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, the whole place erupts with noise. It erupts into sound as Judas comes into the garden, leading all the temple guard with him with torches and swords. And, there's, and it's, scary. it's this scary moment where they're coming for Jesus. And, and so Judas approaches Jesus and he comes to him and, and he kisses Jesus. Sometimes I wonder about, you know, if, if like the temple guards were like, okay, when we get there, you just point to Jesus. And Judas is like, no, I'm going to kiss him. And no, no, sorry, you just, you just point at him. He's like, no, I'm going to kiss You do your job, I'll do my job. As he puts on some lip gloss. <laughs> it's a bad salt in a meme. And so Judas comes and he betrays Jesus and all the guards come and they start to take him. And all the disciples kind of wake up and they erupt into chaos. And Peter has a sword that he found in the upper room and he takes it off and he chops the guy's ear off in a moment of sheer desire to protect his Jesus. But it's impulsive. And it's, a, it's, this, it's, it's repeated over and over in the Gospels. The story is in Matthew 26. Verse 51, with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword and drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? 
All three of the other gospels leave names out of it, but John doesn't. John says, then Simon Peter, who drew, why, come on, John, why you got to do Peter that way? Who, who had a sword, drew it and struck the, the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And I also don't think that Peter was very good at aiming with a sword. I don't imagine he was aiming for the ear. That would take a lot. He was trying to chop this guy right in the middle of the head. He caught the ear. And Jesus says, Peter, haven't you been paying attention? You've been with me for three years. Don't you know this isn't who I am? Peter, haven't you been paying attention? Peter, all night tonight, I've been telling you that I was going to be arrested tonight and crucified, and I'll be back in three days. Aren't you listening? He messed it up, and it was impulsive. He must have been embarrassed and ashamed. His heart was in the right place, but he acted impulsively and got reprimanded. Have you been there? Have you had a heart? to defend or a, or a heart and a desire to do the right thing. You, you want to do the right thing. You, you want to protect. You want to defend. But instead, you just act impulsively. And it doesn't go how you think it will. And you keep messing it up over and over. You attack when you should be showing compassion. And over and over, you keep messing it up. And finally, Peter did what he said he would never do. On the night Jesus is arrested, at the Last Supper, Jesus makes this statement as they're talking about the future. Matthew 26. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if all these, Jesus, you're probably right about the rest of these guys, if I'm being honest. Even if all of them abandon you, I'll never do it. I'll never leave you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll always be there for you, Jesus. You don't have to worry about me. I would never, ever do that. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Yes, Jesus, we would never disown you. But then the moment in the, in the garden happens, and the guards are there, and, and, and people are bleeding, and it's scary, and they all scatter, and they run. And on this very same night, after Peter said, I will never do that, I would never do it, Jesus. Never, never, never. He denies that he ever knew Jesus three times. Three times. Oh, I don't know him. I never heard of him. No, it's not me. And in the moment when Jesus needs him the most, when he's hanging on the cross, Peter's hiding in the very same room where he said, I will never, ever do that. Do you ever do the thing that you said you would never do? Do you know the shame? The regret, the embarrassment that comes with just immediately following, doing the thing that you said you would never, ever do. Maybe the thing that you said you would never, ever do again. Or the thing that you said, no, that's behind me. It'll never, it'll never happen again. And then it happens. You messed it up. And maybe it feels like that's all you'll ever be. Like that mistake is just going to come back and again, and again, and again, and again, like that failure will define you for the rest of your life like you are a failure, like you messed it up, and you'll keep messing it up. It is time to stop focusing on the failure. Your father doesn't. He doesn't look at you and see the ways that you failed. He sees the hope of your future. It is time to stop focusing on the failure because when you shift your perspective, you will shift your momentum. It is your enemy's strategy 
to keep you fixated on the past that is behind you, on the mistakes that you've repeated many, many times. It is your enemy to define you as someone who messes it up, who would define you as somebody who just can't get things right. It is your enemy whose strategy is to take you down every time that happens, to get more and more down on yourself, to stop seeing the hope for the future that the Bible says that you have, to stop believing that it's true for you. Peter knew this all too well. It was Peter who wrote that the devil was a roaring lion prowling about seeking whom he may devour. Because I think Peter knew that so well. See, I think he knew what it felt like to be completely full of shame and regret and to define himself in that shame. I think Peter understood how good his enemy was at making him feel like screwing things up was all he would ever do. This morning, I need you to know that it is time to shift your focus, shift your perspective, change the way that you see yourself to align with the way that your father sees you. Let's look at these events in Peter's life again through a different perspective. First, Peter walked on water. He walked on water. Can you imagine the faith that it took to step out of a perfectly good boat in the middle of a big sea? Can you imagine how, how much he must have loved Jesus to start walking towards him? He saw Jesus coming, and all he wanted was to be near him. Jesus, I don't care if it doesn't make sense for me to get from where I am to where you are. I need to be close to you. Call me, and I will come to you. Every other one of those disciples is too afraid to even get out of the boat. They're sitting there just trying to make sense of it all, but Peter doesn't, he doesn't question that. He doesn't think about that. Peter sees Jesus and needs to get near him. So Jesus says, come, and Peter just steps out of the boat and starts walking. And he gets out there on the water, and he's walking on water. And then he sees the seas and the wind and all that life is throwing at him around him, and he's caught in this place in between faith and fear. And, and as he's in that moment, caught in between faith and fear, he takes his eyes off of Jesus off the love that he has for him, his need to be near him, how much Jesus has already transformed him and changed him. He takes his eyes off of him, and he begins to sink. And I love the very next moment, because inflection matters. Sometimes reading the Bible is like reading a text message or an email. You know, somebody's just trying to tell you that they'd like, they'd like you to do something for them, and you think they're yelling at you. I think we need to understand the inflection of Jesus here. You need to know who Jesus is. He's compassionate and gracious. He loves second chances. Redemption is what he is in the business of. And Peter starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And what's his next word? Immediately. Immediately. Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. You have little faith, he says. Why did you doubt? Peter, you had it, man. You were there. You did this. Peter, you, you walked on water. You were almost there. Oh, why, why did you doubt? Immediately, he caught him. See, maybe you need to spend less time focused on the ways that you failed and more time celebrating the fact that you stepped out of the boat. Maybe you need to spend less time feeling defeated because you sank and more time thinking about what you learned in those moments that you stepped out of the boat. 
Maybe you need to stop looking at uh, the way that you responded in the moment that you started to sink and start to think about the way Jesus would respond in the moment that you start to sink. Peter was caught in this place between faith and fear, and he chose fear. But he learns from this moment. Because in Acts chapter 9, it tells a story of Peter walking into a room where a woman was dead. And he leans down next to the body of this woman and says, Tabitha, get up. And it says that she sat up, she started talking to him, and she started cooking. She, she, and Peter doesn't freak out and yell zombies and run away. If you're ever going to have a moment of fear, right, that's it. I need you to see the difference. Because I just, as I think about like the miracles throughout the Bible, I can't imagine a miracle that would take greater faith than resurrection. And Peter walks into this place full of, fully confident in who Jesus is and who he's created him to be and what's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Tabitha, get up. And she just gets up. You see, what has happened in your past does not determine what happens in your future. The mistakes that are behind you do not direct what is in front of you. Who you have been is not who you will always be. You can change. You can do different things. Don't listen to the lie of the devil that says, that was true about you then, it's true about you today, it'll be true about you tomorrow. What was true about you yesterday is not necessarily true about you today. Peter was full of faith and he did the thing that he needed to do in that moment because he had been learning throughout the course of his life. Finally, fear and failure led to redemption and result. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Peter learned the right way to defend Jesus. This is a big deal because Peter learned more about who Jesus was. Peter had been with Jesus every day for three years, three years. And even still in this moment when these guards come, he thinks violence is the way to defend Jesus. Sometimes we've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe this is a sidebar. But sometimes we've been following Jesus for a long time and we still think that the way to defend him when somebody comes against him is to attack that person. But that's not who Jesus is. It's not the character of Jesus. Going to war on Facebook or, or, or coming after your family members at a dinner table, that's just not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is different. And Peter learns this over time. This moment in the garden becomes a teaching moment for him. It's a big mistake. It's a big deal. Jesus actually heals the guard that Peter had attacked. He healed him right there as he's arresting him because that's who Jesus is. And Peter learns more about who Jesus is. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are standing trial after being arrested by the very same guys who tried Jesus. Oh, can you imagine the feelings? It's fresh. It hasn't been that long. And this, this guy right here was one of the people behind the crucifixion of Jesus, behind it, like physically behind it. Peter and John are standing there I just, I just can imagine they must have had this desire to retaliate. They must have had this human feeling of just rage in them. Or maybe not, because maybe they, they really began to understand at this point in their ministry who Jesus is. Because instead of coming at them with rage and anger, they came at them with a message. They, they taught a sermon of conviction. Conviction. They, didn't, they said, this is what you've done. And then they said, Here's redemption and the path to salvation. So they communicated out of love and compassion and redemption and salvation in that moment. They understood who Jesus was. So maybe you've acted impulsively and made big mistakes. Maybe that's been a big part of your story and who you are and who you were and what you've done. 
But that does not mean that's who you will always be. I have been so impulsive in my life. In fact, if, if, if I, w- I was going to say 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, if you were going to ask people to just come up with a list of character traits to describe John Mark, like number one or two would be impulsive. I made the decision to join the Coast Guard like that. Like life-changing decision, like three seconds. I was like, what should I do? I was a recruiting office. This looks like a good idea. I just walked right in there. I do hereby so solemnly swear. And then they were like, hey, normally people sign up for four years, but if you sign up for six, we'll give you $2,000. And right then and there I said, yes, that is a lot of money. Absolutely yes. Six years is fine. I'll be what? That'd be great. Let's do it. And so that's kind of who I've been. But when we felt called to, to change the, to start this church, I know that God had been doing a work in me for a long time. I've been changing. Instead of acting out of impulsivity, see, I just made the decision that we were going to fast. We were going to pray. We were going to seek God. We were going to pursue this decision. We took two years of study and prayer and understanding and before we said this is what we're going to do and where we're going to do it. And over and over again, there's been these, I still do some impulsive things for sure. Like I, like I just, yesterday I bought this little water sprayer thing at Target. We didn't need it. We have one. I saw it look cool. I'm going to get that. And so I still will do an impulsive thing from time to time. But I'm changing on the big stuff. And it's still a work in progress. But who you've been isn't necessarily who you are today. And I hope it's not who you're going to be in the future. And the mistakes that you've made in the past, and maybe you've repeated over and over and over again in the past. So those mistakes, they can stay there. They don't have to keep repeating. They don't have to keep coming back over and over and over again. And with Peter, fear and failure led to redemption and resolve. He was so afraid that night that Jesus was arrested. And he failed so big in so many ways. And he turned his back on the one person that, that he said he would never turn his back on. And he was just hiding in the moment that Jesus needed him the most. Can you imagine the shame and regret that he must have felt when Jesus resurrected? I imagine his first feelings were amazement and excitement followed by embarrassment and shame. Because if Jesus is resurrected, then that means he must know. Because he knew before, he must. In fact, we, we don't see a lot of interaction in the early moments of the resurrection between Peter and Jesus, aside, oh my gosh, that kind of thing. And I imagine it's because Peter was just feeling a lot of shame. And John tells us that Peter and some of the disciples didn't really know what to do. Jesus was resurrected, but instead of just trying to be near him and, and sharing the message of his resurrection, instead they just, the Bible says they just kind of went back to what they were doing before. They decided to go fishing. In John chapter 20, they just, they just go fishing. And they're out there fishing. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed with shame that you just wanted to hide from God? Have you ever felt so embarrassed about what you had done, about doing the thing you had never said you would never do? You just, you didn't want to be seen by anyone, let alone him. Like Adam in the garden hiding because you're naked. Have you ever just tried to hide from him? I think Peter was out on that boat trying to hide from him. And Jesus shows up and he repeats the very first miracle that he does for Peter. They're fishing all night, they don't catch nothing. They're not very good fishermen. Not catching anything. And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. It's the same thing he's done before. And they don't get it. They're like, who is that guy? Fine, whatever. They throw the net on the other side. They bring up a ton of fish. They realize it's Jesus. He forest comes again. He jumps out of the boat, goes to shore. You know what Jesus did in this conversation? The first big real conversation we see between Peter and Jesus since the moment that Peter completely let Jesus down. 
has breakfast with him. See, the next time that you feel like hiding from God because you think your mistakes are so big and your shame feels so unbeatable that you don't want him to even know about you. I don't want you to picture some big scary God who is mad and ready to throw a lightning bolt. I want you to picture Jesus on a beach making breakfast. That's who he is. That's his nature, his character. He is a God of redemption. He loves to find us in our darkest places and bring light into that moment. He lets Peter have breakfast with him. He's sitting there and they're eating fish together. And he says to him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Jesus, you know I do. Jesus says, and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times, Peter disowns Jesus, denies Jesus, makes the same mistake that he said he would never make. Three times, Jesus offers redemption and a second chance. You need to know that no matter how many times you've made the same mistake, that's how many times he is willing to redeem you. You need to know that no matter how far you go, no matter how many times you think you've done it, no matter how many times you think you've burned that bridge, that he is ready to have breakfast with you, that he wants to meet with you, and he wants to redeem you, and he wants to offer you a calling and a purpose and a future. That's who he is. Peter was a different person because he shifted his perspective which shifted the momentum of his life. Okay, I'll be done in a minute. And for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, Peter led with resolve. <laughs> Acts 2 through 5, I wanted to make a joke. I'm trying so hard not to. I got bowl peanuts on at the house right now, and I did have an alarm set in first service for those bowl peanuts to remind Rael to do something with them. So if it's a bowl peanut alarm, I totally understand. Acts chapter 2 through 5 are stories of Peter acting with boldness and leading thousands of people to Jesus. Over and over again, Peter acts with precision, and he thinks about what he's doing. He takes huge steps of faith, and he's healing, and he's offering people things that he didn't know that he had to offer. And he's just a different person. And it, I, I just believe that this resolve that we see in Peter comes from those moments of fear and failure where he was able to really learn who Jesus is. And it lit him on fire to tell as many people as he could. And so here's three things that I think Peter would want you to know about your story if you can relate to his. First, very simple. These are quick. Whoever's learned those, these are quick. Don't worry. Take your next step boldly. Take your next step boldly. There is a next step for you. And if you have been too afraid to take it, if you stepped out onto the water and you immediately started seeing the world around you and you began to sink, there is a next step for you. And you do not have to take it alone. Take it boldly. Go with somebody else. Here's, here's the good thing. We know how difficult every step of your faith journey is to take. We understand that this is not easy stuff. In fact, Jesus made it very clear it was never going to be easy. There's this pattern throughout the Gospels where big crowds would start following Jesus, and then he'd say something really scary, and people would be like, mm, no, mm, no, good, good. And they would leave, and there'd be a smaller crowd, and then they'd grow really big again, and he'd say something like, well, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to get crucified with me. And people would be like, 
nope. And they would leave. And then it would, just, and it was, it would happen over and over again. What Jesus needed people to understand was this was never going to be easy. Your next steps were never going to be easy. It was never going to be so simple. And, and it was never going to just be all just easygoing things forever. That you will have blessing. And you will have joy. And you will have peace that surpasses understanding. But you will also have trials. And you will have difficulties. And you will have persecution. And it will follow you. And so there's both and. And so what I need you to know is you don't have to do any of it alone. We just talk about next steps a lot at the gathering because we know how hard they are to take. See, we know that to know God, to personally know him, it changes everything about your life. And that's very scary. I remember being a young man thinking about what it would mean for me to start following, to believe in all of this, to choose to know God personally. Like That will change every part of my life. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And we know that's scary. We know it's scary to decide to find freedom. That to make the choice to find freedom means that some things that are in darkness are going to have to come into the light. It means you're going to have to fight things that you've been giving into for all of your life. It means that it's going to get a lot harder before it gets any better. We know that. We know that. We know that discovering your purpose is a lifelong endeavor. We know that. That is why we talk about them so much because we want you to do it here because you don't have to do it alone. We want to give you a family to go through this journey with you to take your next steps alongside of you. Peter stepped out of that boat by himself. We're saying you don't have to. You've got people. That's why we harp on talking about when, if you give your life to Jesus on a Sunday, check that box. We don't want you to check that box so we can put it up on a wall somewhere and go, check that out, pretty cool. Huh? We want you to check that box because I know that you're, you must be scared. And I want to help. I want to help you figure out what's next. I want to define this moment for you. I want to show you where to go from here. We, we want you to find freedom in a life group because we believe that that journey requires people holding you up at times. And we want to put those people in your life. We want you to discover your purpose with us, alongside of us, because we just don't think there's anything more important than knowing why you're here. And so let us help you in that journey. Help us to, let us help you to see things you can't see on your own. And throughout every part of it, you are going to need people to do what the disciples didn't do for Peter to remind you to keep your attention fixated on Jesus. Because every moment that he was walking on water, it was while he was looking at Jesus and nothing else, focused on him, fixed on him, watching him, just keeping his eyes right there. In those moments, he was walking on water. We want to help you with that. Hebrews 12, 2 in the message, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish line, finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. We want to help you keep your eyes focused and fixed on Jesus. Because there's going to be distractions and things to be afraid of. And trials and tribulation and persecution. All of it's going to come. We want to help you keep your attention on Jesus just the way that he did. Jesus, he lived his life just like you and me. He was tempted and people threw shame upon him. And, and he was going to the cross. But the whole time he was fixed on his purpose. He knew his why, and so he just kept moving towards that why. We want that for you as well. We want to help you with that. Let us help you with that. Second thing that I think Peter would say is learn from the past and then step into your purpose. Learn from your past and then step into your purpose. Peter had a history of being impulsive, but he left a legacy of being decisive and faith-driven and resolute. Last week, Robbie talked about this. The, the legacy you receive doesn't have to be the one that you leave that you can change those things, that what is behind you 
does not have to determine what is ahead of you. That just because somebody told you once that you're a screw-up and you'll only ever be a screw-up doesn't make it true. So the only person who's allowed to label you or define you is the one who made you. And when he made you, he said, I see it and it is good. Anything in you that is not good is not from him and it can be removed. You can be freed. The chains can be broken. You can be made new. He said, behold, I am making all things new. He wants to make you new. He wants to recreate you, redefine you in your heart. You, you are not a screw-up. You will not mess up everything for the rest of your life. I remember one night, I was 21. I was sitting on a couch. And I just made a big mistake at work. And I just made a big mistake with my friends. And everybody was mad at me, everybody. I remember sitting there just thinking, it's, how am I going to get through another 60 years of this? How am I, how am I going to keep going like this? I'm such a screw up. All I do is bring pain into people's lives. I'll never, how will I ever be anything more than that? If you've ever been in that place, you need to hear me tell you that those are lies from the devil. That our Father can redeem you, can make you new, that he has a plan for you, a purpose for you, a dream for you, a future for you, that what is behind you is not what is ahead of you, that what was true about you then is not true about you today, will not be true about you tomorrow. I am redeemed. I am made new. Those thoughts haven't gone through my mind in a very long time. I am not a screw up. I am not a mess up. I do not ruin everything that I touch. That is not who I am. Those were lies the enemy had me believe. There's a great passage in Philippians 3.13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. That doesn't mean forgetting like, oh, I don't remember what happened. Well, I don't have amnesia. It's not that. It's forgetting as in I don't have time to think about it. That's not on my mind right now. I'm not keeping it right here. What I did then isn't where I'm at right now. i got to press on. I've got a goal in mind. I'm straining towards the finish line like a sprinter at the end of a run. I'm straining towards the finish line because I know he's called me, that he has a purpose for me. I know that he has anointed me, that I'm his, and that he's got some dreams in mind. And so I don't have time to just think about the way that I screwed it up in the past. I'll learn from it, and I'll get better because of it, but I'm going to keep going forward. I press on toward the goal for which I have to. But it, I press on to the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Because that's what I'm going to do today. That's who he says I am. He says I'm more and that I can do more. There's this great story. So the last thing is this. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Here's the asterisk to the whole thing. People don't change. The Holy Spirit changes people. You gotta, don't, under, don't underestimate this. Don't just gloss over this because listen, when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, all the things that you are, who you are, your spirit, is intertwined with the spirit of the living God. 
the spirit that was out upon the nothingness of the earth that was there the moment it was all called into creation, the very same spirit that entered into Jesus and brought him from death to life, the very same spirit that was in Peter when he said, Tabitha, get up, the very same spirit that was with Moses when he struck his staff in the sea and an ocean split in two is inside of you. And whoever you were then is no match for the power of his Holy Spirit. He can transform you and change you, but you gotta let it do its work. You gotta let him do his work in your life. If you want your future to be different than your past, the number one priority for you is to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Give him space to work. If you aren't waking up every single morning and the most important thing in your mind is to get on your knees and worship the Holy Spirit, worship the one who made you, thank Jesus for the cross, then he doesn't have the ability to do the work in you. You're not giving him the space to. If you're not getting on your knees, if you're not studying his scriptures and learning what he's done before so that you know what he'll do again, if you're not praying and, and giving him the opportunity to transform you, he, it's, listen, you're stifling the Holy Spirit. You gotta make it a priority. If you want the future to be different than the past, then start to let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. Let nothing else be more important to you. Wake up every single morning. Oh, Oh, Heavenly Father, I worship you. I give everything that I am to you. I thank you for who you are, God. I thank you for making me the way you made me. God, I believe you do not make mistakes. I believe that what has been said of me is not true about me, that only you get to define me, that you are the one who identifies me. So God, I worship you today. Everything that you see that I am, I give to you today. Every gift that you've given me, I lay at your feet. My purpose, I put before you. God, I ask that you would give me your wisdom and your discernment in every decision that I make today. Heavenly Father, every conversation that I have today, may your Holy Spirit move in me so that as I speak, they would hear your voice, God. I just give myself to you and do it every single day. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. Be transformed. Be made new. He will do something big with you. I didn't mean to rhyme. Acts chapter 4, 31. I went way over. Sorry. It's not going to fly when we're doing two services back to back. Acts 4, 31. Peter's just prayed with some people. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The same Holy Spirit that shook the ground then is inside of you, is with you when you pray. And what he's done before, he will do again. So let him transform you and change you. I know it feels like the battle's uphill and your worst enemy is yourself sometimes. But listen to me. Sometimes it is uphill. But there is a reason. This journey is taking you somewhere. And you are not your own worst enemy. You have an enemy. But you have a greater advocate than you could ever dream of. Lean into him. Come to know him. Experience him. Follow him. And you will not be the same tomorrow that you were yesterday. If you're in here this morning and you're ready to take that first step of faith, if that's you, then every head bowed, every eye closed, all you have to do is pray this prayer with me. This is your moment. This is your moment to step out of the boat, to see Jesus and just start moving towards him. You don't know what's gonna happen next or how it all works. Just get out of the boat. Repeat, just say this prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me for thinking that I wasn't enough. Forgive me for all my past sins and my mistakes. I leave them at your feet. I believe that you have redeemed me.
that you have forgiven me, that you will forgive me. I believe in you. I believe in your power, the power of the cross. So send your Holy Spirit to transform me. I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.